This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 156 of the Healthy Critters Radio on the Horse Radio Network. Healthy Critters Radio is brought to you by Biostar US. Find them online at biostarus.com. On today's show, we share our tips for fly control. The critter of the show is the cardinal. In Critter Nutrition, we share tips for choosing a dog breeder. And in Coffee Clutch, we ask, what's in your animal medicine cabinet? Join us. Tigger. And I'm Patty. And this is Coach Jen. Here we are, the three ring, three ring circus that you know as Healthy Critters Radio. Welcome back. The three of us hang out together twice a month and chit-chat about all things healthy and critter. We cover healthy physically, healthy emotionally, healthy spiritually. We, we, we dig, dig into all of it. I mean, last time we talked about talisman rocks, so we do it all. Yes, we did. You missed that one, Patty P. I did. You did. That's she was she was busy taking a day off. Gee. Yeah. How dare she? <laughs> Vacation. Vacation. That, that How do you spell sense. it? Yeah. <laughs> it's called didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll notice I did not say the V word because if it's a day right. off, it's not really a vacation. That's just a case of That's your true. tank was empty and you couldn't move anymore. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Come, okay. come yeah. So in uh, in today's chit chat, we always start out the show with a little chit chat, catch up on what everybody's been up to, get into the groove, get halfway through our favorite adult beverage. And sometimes <laughs> Tigger and Patty forget to have a topic to catch up on. So they let me no. pick one. And it's their favorite thing when I pick a topic. It, it is. It is. Absolutely. It's what- it's a little scary, but yeah. <laughs> it's a little scary, like walking down the, the rim trail at the Grand Canyon. There you go. Yeah. It's an adventure. I was saying, w- thinking walking the gangplank. <laughs> 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 well, seeing as how spring has truly sprung in some parts of the country, uh, and here in Florida, where I am located, it has definitely sprung because we're having plenty of 80 degree days. I wanted to talk about baths, baths specifically for our critters. So, first question Hmm. is, for your critters, and Terry, we will insert the word dogs for you. And Patty will let you choose which critter, because you have dogs and cats and guinea pigs and chickens and horses, so we'll let you choose. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How (laughs) How often do you give your dogs a bath with soapy suds or what are the criteria that your dog needs a bath with soapy suds? Is it me first or Tigger first? Tigger's first. You, okay. uh, well, I can say in the case of Wookie, every time she rolls in manure, which is weekly, <laughs> so it doesn't matter if it's December or July. Yeah. She has to get a bath because her eau de perfume, it just doesn't work for me. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the rest yeah. of the dogs, you know, they swim in the creeks. And so I would say maybe they get a bath a year. And the ones that go to Florida actually get a bath when they get there at the spa and a bath before they leave at the spa. So they get the most. They get at least three a year. There you go. <laughs> three a year. I love take. I love it when you take the dog to the spa because, from my point of view personally, I'd rather bathe a cat than a dog. There's nothing for me that is more offensive than the smell of a wet dog. I just hate that smell. I'm sorry. So, Patty, pick pick a pick a critter in your life and tell us their criteria. Yeah. Um. Let's see. I um I am going to pick. Um, I'm going to pick. I'm going to pick my horses. Okay. Because I'm with her, with the, the dog thing. I mean, I I gave them a bath when I was in Florida. My goal was just so everybody knows was to be like Tigger and bring him to the spa and do it before. And, and I didn't. I drove by it all the time and I waved and I said I'd like to make an appointment, <laughs> but it didn't happen. I miss my horses um, because they, you know, if they're in Florida or they're here, I like to give them, um, I like to give them a bath a week. And one of my favorite things to do at the end of the bath is put a little coconut oil. And I laugh because this has just been an ongoing thing for <laughs> forever. And she started. Um, and I, I like did. to just finish with a little coconut oil because it just makes them look so lovely and smell good. But so in Florida, we're, we're at home. Um, the woman who owns the barn left no attention to detail undone. It just was so, it's just the most beautifully comfortable barn. A horse could, I mean, the horses don't want to stay out like to the point where like, seriously, guys, you all have this beautiful field. Stay outside. They want to come in because everything is the, the mat. There's like the, the, um, I think, Oh, I can't remember the name of the company, but it's like the foam mats in there and there's shavings and there's fans and it's just beautiful. The only thing is, is that with these, the types of mats or the cushion mats is they don't drain great. So, um, my young horse, I, I actually think he, he urinates and then goes, you know, I think I'll lay in that. He's a little <laughs> bit like Wookie. So today as I was riding around and, um, and of course they're, you know, they've been clipped before they went to Florida. So their coats are kind of in their summer coats now, which are a little bit longer than when they're clipped. And I'm riding around and I went, wow, I just smell urine. <laughs> so today was a bath day. Um, so I do it once a week and I finish it up with, um, some beautiful coconut oil. There we go. We need to set ourselves a goal. We are on episode 156. Write that down, Tigger. Mm -hmm. How many episodes in a row we can come up with a reason to say coconut oil? Oh, (laughs) I think that we should set our goal that we can say coconut oil for an actual Mm -hmm. reason in a conversation, in a full sentence, on t- right through to episode 200. That's my goal. Yeah. So, okay. okay. Put that I, in the I notes. That'll be easy. I could, <laughs> you're going to write a book called 101 Chal- Uses Chal- for Coconut Oil. Yeah. Challenge accepted. <laughs> Done. Oh, that's funny. Well, there we go. Yeah. There we go. So it got me thinking because I am here in Florida. I'm not a Florida, Florida native. I've lived in lots and lots of different places up and down the eastern seaboard. But I'm a relatively recent import to Florida, having been here for a little little less than 10 years. And something interesting happened. I find myself bathing my horse less here than when I lived further 
north. And, you, and I thought it would be the other way around because, hello, it's hot and sweaty here most of the time. But I find that I rarely bathe the horses with soap. I, I do rinse them, but I'm much more prone to just using the hose and put it on that super-duper spray and just rinse them like crazy to get the, the sand out of their coat, but not use any soap because their skin gets so dry from being rained on again and again and again, and the sun is just yep. beating down on them yep. and it dries out their hair. Um, so that I found that very interesting as I was here for a while. The first probably three or four months we were here, it's like, oh, shower the horse, oh, shower the horse. But because we have no clay, the soil here in the part of Florida where we live in central Florida is basically beach sand. Uh, they don't get the crud in their coat like they do when you have clay soils. The clay gets in there and clay sticky. It stays, it sticks, it, it gets gooey. But we don't have that. So you don't have that need to have a surfactant to get it back out again. The, the sand, if you get wow. enough water on their coat, just, it just falls out of their coat. So, very interesting. So, you have lots of different um, different methods depending upon living conditions and how sensitive you are to, what did you call it, eau de perfume? <laughs> yes. <laughs> we would love to know what... Uh, what your what your pet's personal hygiene habits are. So you can head on over to Facebook and type in the search bar Healthy Critters Radio and post on there what your routine is like. And I'm I'm kind of curious if there are people out there who give their cats baths because that's something when we had our kitty cat, we did do. And here we are at round table and our topic of discussion is tips for controlling flies in the summer, which at this exact moment in time is an oxymoron since <laughs> the north wind is blowing and it feels like it's like 40 degrees. I don't think a fly would survive, but um, there's a wonderful website called Arbico Organics. It's A-R-B-I-C-O Organics. And it's where I get fly predators and... Um, they have a really cool spray that you could put on your manure pile um, that reduces the odor and therefore the flies and the fly eggs. Um, but they also sell praying mantises. Really? And yes. And a couple of years ago, I, I bought some. And they hatched. And uh, for the listeners who don't know, praying mantises are the coolest bugs on the planet. First of all, the females eat the males, which I just think is totally awesome. And they are incredibly good at flies and mosquitoes and aphids. And they're a really good bug control. And they look so cool. They look like they're an alien from outer space. So um, I have found that the combination of the fly predators and and um, bringing in praying mantises and this spray that you put on the manure, um, you can also use in the stalls. And apple cider vinegar, you know, as a as a good fly repellent um, has really helped uh, control the population of flies at my farm. So how do you use your your 
vinegar. Tell me, tell me the routine. I, yeah, the words right out of my mouth. I'm like, <laughs> so, um, you know, I normally use an apple cider vinegar. I put it in a spray bottle, and I spray the horse, and it smells like I'm at an Italian restaurant. You know, salad dressing, mm-hmm. but it repels the flies. Now it doesn't last really long, but it's great when they're in their their stables. And um, and that's when I think that they're most annoyed, because when they're out at night, they're eating, and you know they just it just doesn't seem to be that as big a deal as during the day. So how many times do you put? How often do you put it on? Use it twice a day. Twice a day, and apple cider yeah. vinegar versus white vinegar or some other. Yeah, I've had better success with apple cider vinegar, and you just pour it into a spray, and you don't need the one with the mother. Yeah, you know, you don't need the the really good stuff that stuff. you would give internally. Yeah, yeah, get the cheap kind. Yeah, I just buy bulk apple cider vinegar. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Now, you have you is this the first year you've used it, or is this one of your standbys? Oh, this is a standby. So at what point in this fly season do you start using it? Is it one of those things you really need to start using it before the flies get bad? Or does it help even if the flies have already gotten bad? I've always started at the beginning of the season. When I start seeing the flies, that's when I start using it. And I've had really good luck with the springtime garlic. Mm -hmm. The Mm -hmm. internal feed through. Yeah, I've had really good success with that. Interesting. So between the garlic and the vinegar, it's a real fly turn off. <laughs> <laughs> have you have you had any trouble getting some of your horses to eat the garlic? Because I had a little trouble. A couple years Not ago. the springtime. Yeah, interesting. So okay. it's springtime feeds, and that's the one that yep. is that what you use? And you've had trouble with horses eating it? I did. I did for a period of time, and then. Um, but again, there's some of my harder eaters anyway, so I guess oh. it's kind of a mute. But um, yeah, um, and it, it does smell garlicky. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> I love the smell of garlic. There so. you go. Oh, that's the Italian in you. <laughs> it, well. I'm actually not Italian. I'm German. It's just my last name. <laughs> so, so Patty, Patty, do you have a a particular routine that you stick with year after year, or are you more prone to changing it up? Well, because I tend to move <laughs> a lot, um, uh, I've done different things in different places. Um, when I went back to Virginia for that year, I was very much into the garlic because the flies there are more bitey, mm-hmm. um, like they were in yeah. Michigan when I lived. In, um, and so I did that more. Um, but where we are now, because it's a smaller farm, um, it, it, the biggest thing is this manure management. Um, it's just like getting the manure out, getting it away from the farm, which is, you know, like there's um, uh, a bunch of acreage next door that we spread the manure on, which has been very helpful. But fly predators as well. Um, uh, fly predators have, have been a big thing. Um, yeah. it was so interesting. Cause yeah, I, they're I great. I, yeah, they really are. Um, and if you keep up with them, it really, really is yeah. helpful. Uh, but just, you know, and 
manure manure removal is a big thing too. I think that's a very yeah. big thing. And that's but, I think know, a lot of people don't realize how far away you need to have it. If the manure storage yeah. area is close enough to the barn that you do not need a motorized vehicle yeah. to get it to the storage area, that means it's too close. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And and that I But that's, that's why That's why what? That's why this Arbico Organics is such a good mm. website because the manure treatment stuff, you just spray on the manure pile, it works great. It works um, yeah. great. One of the questions, and I was trying to look this up as we were talking, is because um, I think the praying mantis thing is such a cool thing. Do they live everywhere? Like, can they be in any? Are praying mantises everywhere? Because that seems like what a great, that seems like such a great, easy thing to do. Like the fly predators. I didn't just, it's, I was looking at it and it doesn't say, but only in these areas. So I, th- I think that's it. That's, I didn't know you did that, Tigger. That's kind of cool. Yeah. And, and it, again, they work sort of hand in hand with um, fly predators. Yeah. Yeah. I think I may have to try that. There you go. Cool. And they're so, they're such cool bugs. <laughs> yeah, they I mean, are. They just and I, I think cool. um, in the bigger picture, your, Local extension agent is a very good tool because different parts of the country have different needs. And the thing I see most often is people buy into a pest control product or system, but then don't follow the directions. And then they're like, well, we're not real happy with how it worked. Well, did you follow the directions? Mm -hmm. (laughs) For example, they'll get something that's supposed to either repel or kill an insect but that's not the insect they actually have because not all flies are the <laughs> same and not all flies can right. be killed or repelled really by the same thing. products. So take the time to figure out which ones are the real pests and, you know, plan your that's pest great. control appropriately. Yeah, because at the farm we used to be at, because we recently moved to a new place, the... I call them face flies. I don't know what their real name is, but they're the ones that don't really bite, but they hang around the horse's eyeballs. They yeah. were the big problem. They were everywhere by the jillions. Now, our, yeah, our horses are now at a boarding stable. And admittedly, it's early in the season, so the flies aren't really out in force just yet. But already, don't have nearly as many of the face flies, but we do have the ones that look just like them, but they bite. They get on their legs and actually bite them. Um, so I'm going to have to update my insect game to Mm -hmm. attack that kind of a fly because it's going to be different products applied differently, different chemicals, different ways of of dealing with it. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking to somebody who sells fly predators years ago. Don't know which company it was. This is probably eight years ago. And they were talking about the importance of identifying the species you need to that you need to address first because if you're addressing the wrong species or you're just throwing a net over it trying to address them all you're going to be less than satisfied with the results mm. so there you go mm. huh. i think i think the folks over at um arbico organics need to be a sponsor of the healthy critters radio show Hmm. Or the Horse Radio Network. That would be even better. (laughs) Yeah. There you go. 
I may have to I may have to take take advantage of some of their experts' knowledge base and maybe do a tip or two. There we go. There you go. There you go. There's there's also um, Sport Horse Essentials, which makes a fly spray that does include da 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 drum roll apple cider vinegar. <laughs> they, they, they also use witch hazel and um, other essential oils. So um, that's sportessentials.com. Look at that. And they make things for doggies, too. Oh, neat. Yep. Okay. There we go. Cool. Well, fun and cool. interesting conversation. Agree. And speaking of fun and interesting conversations... It's time for us to call Hedwig. Tell everybody, Tigger, tell everybody who Hedwig is for new listeners. Hedwig is uh, the only talking Pomeranian on any podcast anywhere in the world. Dun, dun, dun. you Hetty I appreciate you saying that and because you had a lovely time I I did I wish I I I actually did it was it was time um was a good time spent by all oh good how nice so Hetty because you're being so kind I have a question that I'd love to know the answer to yes what (laughs) what is proper Pomeranian furniture requirements in your house in my home mm-hmm. what what type of proper furniture requirements do you have? and do you does your servant provide what you would consider proper pomeranian furniture requirements so in each room we have beds you know mm-hmm. multiple beds i like the ones that are shaped like donuts they're blue <laughs> And they're furry, and they're shaped like a donut. And my sister and I can fit both of us into one bed. But then in the other room next to the fireplace, which is necessary on a day such as today, we have a big square, like a rectangular bed with arms on it. It's like a Mm. sofa. And we can all fit on that one, no problem. Then we have two other beds in that room, mm-hmm. two more, next to the radiator for cold days. But for hotter days, we have those beds also in front of the door for a breeze. In our upstairs room, there are five beds. Two of the beds are big, oh no, three. Three of the beds are big rectangles, and they're puffy. And my sister and I sleep on those, and my brother. And then my weird sister has her own bed with a blanket. And if anyone else touches her blanket, she gets a little bit sociopathic. So it's just best we don't touch mustard seeds 
blanket unless we want to have a fight, which sometimes we do. <laughs> Way to mess with her little mind. I touch her blanket. Anyway, <laughs> um, and then there's one other bed that is round. So to summarize, multiple beds in each room that we are expected to occupy, plus, of course, time spent on sofas and mm-hmm. on beds. Mm-hmm. That works out for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In the truck, so also, we have beds. So it sounds like your servant really is providing lots of comfortable spaces for you to lay down. She's learning, you know. I mean, okay. originally there was only one bed per dog. Oh, that's atrocious. I mean, that's it, which is really not working for me at all. Right. And this so soft donut beds are quite delightful. Those took a while to get. But do you spend more time on these beds or do you get on the couch? I, you know, sometimes I get on the couch, but more often I like to be with one of the beds on one of the beds with my sister. Well, that's, well, see, that's very nice. And especially if it's, if it's cold, I'm sure that it's nice to snuggle with your sister. Yeah, she's very floofy. <laughs> well, thank you, Hetty, for that. I feel very obligated to go buy at least 10 more beds for my dog. (laughs) So we're at the critter of the show and recently being back from Florida and coming into springtime into Northern Texas, one of the most wonderful sounds I get to hear is Cardinal. So I chose to do the Cardinal, which has been probably one of my favorite birds for a long time um, because they're just beautiful. And they're one of the easiest bird to recognize um, for anybody, whether you're a bird watcher or not bird watcher. Um, The males have a bright red, beautiful color and the females are actually beautiful as well. They are um, they, they are brown, but sport some beautiful red uh, accents. Because they don't migrate, which I thought was very, this is very interesting, they don't molt into a dull plumage like most birds do. They still molt, but they still have a lot of beautiful red. And so basically, they're always stunning. Um, they're, they're found in a large portion of North America, down actually all through Florida into um, parts of Texas and Mexico. And interestingly enough, they originally were more of a warm climate bird, but then have expanded their territories to obviously more northern part. And they're actually considered, when you look up a cardinal, they'll, they'll call them the northern cardinal, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, they are approximately eight to nine inches. They weigh about anywhere from a 1.5 to point. 1.8 ounces. Um, so this is really quite cool. So the lifespan of a cardinal can be up to 15 years. On average, I, it, they say wow. between three to yeah. This is quite interesting. But on average, it's three to five years. So when they say the lifespan 15 years, that actually is not in captivity. The oldest one, I believe, was which that was recorded in Ohio or Pennsylvania was 15 years and nine months. It was a female. And the oldest that lived in captivity was 28 years, dun, 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 which I thought was really wow. cool. Um, they have what's called an open cup nest, 
um, and sort of interesting because they take turns um, in um, incubating the nest, um, it's, which is always in sort of a concealed area and spot. Um, another fun fact, they also only use their nest once, which I thought was quite interesting. Um, and the males make fabulous um they're they're excellent fathers, which and which they're very territorial, but excellent fathers. Um, which we'll get into that part a little bit later. Um, so another interesting fact is that they're beautiful songbirds, which um, you have can often if you go outside and you're from an area that has them, you'll hear it sort of sounds like a cheer, 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 or there's other noises that you can sound, but they're a very distinct noise. And um but it's neat because the female um, also sings, which apparently is not a really uh, common thing. Um, but you often can hear the female singing to her mated pair and they're giving information about, you know, bring home the dinner. <laughs> it's time to feed the kids. Um, it's time for dominoes. A, yeah, it's time for dominoes. Where's DoorDash when you need it? Um, but they have over 16 types, types of calls, which is interesting because if you, if you go and Google what they sound like, you'll go, oh my gosh, yes, I didn't hear that. But then there's there's so many different, you hear different um, songs or, you know, songs that they do. It's, it's really quite neat. It's really quite cool. Um, so this is getting back to this part of it. So the cardinals are, are, are often known in the springtime when they're mating and protecting their, their nest for fighting mirrors or shiny, you know, bumpers or um, reflections in a window um, both the males and the females will do this um, and they're qu the males are quite obsessed as, as the females are in defending their territory and this will go on um, for you know weeks weeks on end some it, there's even been um, documentation that females have done it up to six months but for the most part have you have you ever seen it Tigger have you either one you've ever seen it when they attack like a rear view mirror or side view mirror no. Okay, it's it's funny. If you look up a video of I I I can't, I can't believe you haven't seen it, Tigger, being from Virginia. But I, you know, when I was in Alta Vista, I would see it all the time. They would be out attacking the mirror in my car. So it's kind of kind of an interesting thing. Um. So, um, last but not least, this is the only state bird that is for seven different states. Really? Isn't that cool? Seven. Mm -hmm. There's so many birds seven to choose from, people. Come on. It, well, what are the well, seven? Oh, it's, um, I, you know, I knew you were going to ask me. It's like, it's Ohio, obviously Virginia. Um, there's two. I think it's a lot of, they're clumped together. I'd ha well, I, I'll have to get back to you on that. But there, I, there was a map of it that had them, but I don't remember what that, it all is. Um, I think Virginia, Ohio. Hmm. All right, I'll have to look that up. Um, and the last, this interesting fact is, believe it or not, there's a very rare yellow cardinal. It's a very, it's a, it's a, it's due to a rare pigmentation change and whatever, but there is actually something called a yellow cardinal. Have you ever heard of that? No. Kind of cool. Now, is it the same species and it's just an anomaly or is it a subspecies? Yeah, it it's it's the same species. Um, it just has something to do. I mean, it got it got way over my head of understanding what it was, but <laughs> basically, it has to do with 
the area that they're in and they eat more <laughs> orange colored things versus I guess red I'm not sure but in and the pigmentation when they eat it and how um, the mutation in through the pigmentation or something and it comes out as as um, yellow but huh. I just thought that was cool I never I never knew that so um, but they are you know um, loved around the world and they're a wonderful I they're one of my favorite birds I mean I love to feed them um, but I think the biggest thing is listening to the different songs that they have because um, I mean you, you have them where you are in Florida don't you Jen we do have cardinals here, and they're one of my favorites because they they chat so much. They're very very sing songy. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that I've ever seen a yellow one. Now I'm gonna have to keep an eye out. Well, I've never seen a yellow one. I think um, from the research that I did, the yellow one that they saw was apparently last year, and it was in North Carolina. Um, but again, sort of just an interesting fun fact. But. Um, listen to the different types of songs that they have because that's when you really start because you you recognize it but then when you start to realize that it's the mating pair um, talking back and forth to each other it's kind of cool Neato Keen Neato Keen Here we are at Critter Nutrition, and I um, have been inspired to talk about tips on choosing a good dog breeder based on some of the Facebook groups that I'm part of, and it seems like every day somebody is posting not exactly a horror story, but a problem with a dog they purchased from a breeder not from a rescue. And I thought maybe it would be helpful to, you know, provide some tips so you know um, if you're going for a purebred dog, what you need to look for. Um, the, the The very first thing in my mind is what kind of health tests especially health genetic tests and OFAs, which is certification of the hips and the elbows, um, have been done. Has the the dog in certain breeds, there, there are eye deformities, so um, breeding pairs should be checked for that by an ophthalmologist. Um, there are a lot of people breeding dogs and they're breeding because they love their girl and they just thought it'd be fun to have a puppy. And, and you know, you don't, those are not considered puppy mills, but, but there are backyard breeders who aren't necessarily interested in maintaining the standard of the breed and they don't do health testing and they don't have their dogs OFA'd. So, that's usually where I recommend starting because if the breeder doesn't have paw print genetics uh, testing and each breed has a list of um, genetic factors um, that you can test for, some you can't like epilepsy, but some you can, 
like the MDR1 gene in, in Aussies. And if the dog is tested and clear, you know that the the breeder has done their homework and that they're not just indiscriminately breeding just to make a buck or just because they like their girl and they thought it'd be fun for their kids to have puppies. Um, that's all well and good unless you're passing on uh, genetics that you aren't even aware of that are in your dog that maybe came from the, the grandmother or the grandfather. So genetic testing and OFA is really important because as you, as we all know, these hip and elbow dysplasia issues are rampant in a lot of breeds, a lot of breeds. Then there is the question of the breeder. The person who is actually doing the breeding owns the, the bitch uh, and maybe also the, the boy. What kind of interaction have you had with them even on the phone because the the person the breeder that is really enthusiastic about preserving the breed the qualities of the breed not breeding you know many litters a year that's a sure sign of a puppy mill um are very proactive in the the preventative and veterinary care of the mother. And I, I know my experience with my mentor breeder was in my initial conversation with her, which was two hours, it it felt like I was, you know, being considered adopting a human child. And I really appreciated her. She wanted to know what you know what kind of dogs i'd owned in the past and what i'd done with dogs in the past and da, 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 da. i mean it was a it was a lengthy process and and i would advise you not to feel discouraged by that that's actually a sign of a good breeder because they really care where their puppies go so they want to know absolutely everything about you um and what your lifestyle is um Another thing to to consider is the health screening of the puppies. What kind of health screening has the breeder done? Um, most breeds are sold at eight to ten weeks. They should not go without their first vaccinations. They should not leave home without them. They shouldn't leave home at seven weeks or even six weeks. Eight weeks is kind of the minimum. To me, 10 weeks is optimum. Um, and if they come with a USDA health certificate, you can suspect that that's a, that's a, uh, a puppy mill. Uh, a health certificate from a vet is, is, is quite different. And it, it's something that the puppy has to fly with if you're going to fly at home or travel out of state with. Um, and that, and that should come with your puppy, especially if they're leaving the state. Um, what are the handling of the puppies when you're interviewing the breeder who is also interviewing you, you want to know the the kind of socialization the puppies are being exposed to. Are they raised in the house or are they raised in a barn? 
are they um, exposed to something called puppy culture, which is a desensitization and socialization program that includes interactions with kids and other humans, textures, different surfaces that they walk on, sounds, other dogs. Um, that really helps create a confident puppy, not a fearful one. So if, if none of those uh, socialization aspects have been done, I would recommend that you walk away. Um, contracts are really important in the breeding business, especially for serious breeders. If there is no contract that requires the puppy be returned uh, to the breeder, if, if the owner can't keep the puppy or the dog, that's really important because that tells you how engaged and important that breeding program is to that breeder, that they're not just selling you a puppy and saying good riddance. Um, and, you know, you want to make sure that you understand what the standard of the breed is that you want to buy. So there are a lot of designer breeds and, you know, that's a personal choice. But find out and learn what are some of the health issues with designer breeds. And and if you're looking for a, <coughs> excuse me, AKC breed, really study up on some of the health issues, the structure issues, what what the, the breed is known for or good good for in terms of use and activity and character. Um, and that will really help you divine and discover and find a really good reputable breeders because we can't throw the breeding business under the bus in one lump some that all breeders are bad. Yeah, there's some there's some bad breeders, but there are also a lot of very good breeders and one place to start is with the parent club that's not akc that's the foundation club of the breed for instance for the australian shepherd it's the australian club of america there's one for beagles there's one for german shepherds there's golden retrievers labs they all have a foundation um, club and that's the place to really start contact them see the breeders they recommend learn about the breed And now we're at Coffee Clatch, and I was inspired when I came home from Florida, and um, I had to deal with a, my own wound, and I opened up the uh, animal medicine cabinet, uh, and I started going through things and <laughs> realizing how much it expired, and <laughs> thinking, you know, I need a good like bring cleaning of the, the animal medicine cabinet, which is very helpful. Because you realize the things that are really, really important in in your own medicine cabinet. So the question in Coffee Clutch is, what's in your animal medicine cabinet? I can tell you that all my expired products are gone. Um, <laughs> and I have been slowly replacing with newer products uh, that have another year or two on their expiration date. I, there are some things that I can't live without. One of them is colloidal silver. 
It's in mm-hmm. the barn. It's in the house. It's in several places in the house. Uh, it's my go-to. Um, uh, it's my go-to liquid for wounds. Um, four by fours. I I have so much um, vet wrap that um, I could probably open a vet wrap store. (laughs) (laughs) Again, I keep it in the barn. I have some in the house. I find it the most indispensable thing ever. Um, I like to make my own poultices, so I always have clay on hand, and that way I can add... um, certain things to the clay if I want to make a, a wound poultice. And and then, of course, lots of, you know, gauze and tape and um, betadine. And I have discovered the wonders of hydrogen peroxide, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which I've, I've had, but I've never used to the extent that I I have recently. And Man, that's a really great product to have, uh, along with Betadine. So, um, those are kind of my basic. Um, what's in your medicine cabinet? And I recently discovered the wonders of calendula ointment, um, and it's it's like a butter in a little tin, and it's really amazing for human wounds, dog wounds, horse wounds, not deep wounds, but um, surface wounds. So those are some of my go-tos because my medicine cabinet is quite, oh, and always syringes, 30cc, Mm. 60cc, 10cc. Yeah, you got to have a lot of syringes. How about you, Patty? (laughs) Um. I, um, a lot of what you said, hydrogen peroxide for sure. Um, I, I, I maybe we should start a, a, a new vet wrap company cause I could do tons of vet wrap. Um, and <laughs> gauze, um, Manuka honey. I always have that. Um, yep. just, yep. you know, to use on, on, um, wounds. I do triple antibiotic cream, which I love. Um, um, I'm trying to think of the blue stuff. <laughs> Chlorhexidine, is that it? That's the one. Chlorhexidine? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I use that a lot in Florida for um, when the horses start going out, the, the grunge. Um, yes. Um, stuff, which really helps with that. Um, did I say coconut oil? I, I mean, <laughs> not coconut oil. You're, you're welcome. You're welcome, Jen. But I mean, I do, because you can put that on anything. Um, um, I'm thinking of my cabinet right now. Um, I guess that's basically, and and the typical stuff, the syringes, alcohol, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. And tea tree oil. You know, it's so, it's funny when you said coil silver, um, you taught me years ago to have it and I would have it and then I would use it and then it would, you know, then I don't, and I don't have it now. So that's something I've got, I've got to get that now. Um, (laughs) and tea tree oil is good. For sure. And yeah, and yeah. tea tree oil and a poultice is really good. I really like it that way. Yeah, I mean, I always have some sort of a poultice on hand as well. Fortunately, 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 um, I don't have to use a lot of that. And so I don't know if this would be a medicine cabinet thing or not, but I recently um, um, 
I'm sure you guys have seen those socks that go on the horse's legs. And for the life of me, I can't yeah. remember. Winnie socks. That, those are Winnie socks. Right. But there's a new shorter one. And I can't think of the name of it right now that were fabulous. I promise I'll think of it. They're great to have. Um, I had two horses that were um, really thought it would be a great idea to get a um, summer sore in Florida. Put those bad boys on. And Ugh. no chew. No chew is good to put on that because I happen to have the most mouthy young horse on the planet. Um, <laughs> you know, you think it's really cute when they pick up their feed pail and they run up and down the bars, like it's a jail riot. Um, but that also <laughs> leads into, I pick anything up. And if you put something on my leg, I try to take off. No choose a good thing. <laughs> um, yes. But I, I, Oh, I can't think of the name of the socks, but it's a great, and I, um, I promise you I'll think of it for the next, for the next show, but they're a little bit shorter. They're really great circulation type socks, but they also cover up, um, like, you know, they'll, they'll, like I said, the, the, um, summer sore thing, if you're trying to keep flies and stuff off, be great for that. And they have a little copper in them. Um, oh my gosh, I'll think of it next time. Promise. How about you, Jen? See, my, my list is going to be very, very different uh, being a DIYer. My medicine cabinet, first thing that came to mind was socks. Yes, plain old human socks. When okay. our Greyhound Glory started to lose her vision a little bit, she had a condition where her vision became tunneled, so she, her peripheral vision was going away. And she would fly around and crash into things and invariably cut herself because um, Greyhound's skin is the texture of phyllo dough. Mm. And I found that tall women's, I think they call them slack socks, but it's a tall women's sock, but it's not a nylon. It's made of a cotton blend. You snip the toe out of that if you need to, but they're great for bandaging dog's legs they're just about the right diameter and you can use a piece of uh, stretchy sticky tape and by the way uh, kt tape which is the stuff you use for kinesiology kinesiology tape works great for that to hold it up oh yeah and then you can put the medication underneath and it's hard for them to lick it um it help also helps keep it clean and if you have old worn out athletic socks tube socks they can make an excellent cover for wounds or areas you need to protect on horses that are lighter boned. I've used those many, many times and they work great. Uh, Mm. The next thing that I thought of, and this is another one I use a lot, sleeves from hoodies or sweatshirts or raincoats. So when you have those things that need to go, you might chop the sleeves off because you can put the sleeve on the horse's leg, especially if it's a raincoat. You put a piece of tape around the bottom and you fill it full of ice water and ta-da, icing utensil. Or icing your horse's legs because it's a raincoat. Water stays in. (laughs) Yeah. And the sleeves from sweatshirts are really handy for bandaging hocks and knees because it conforms really nicely. What? Okay, Uh, you're... (laughs) uh, A dry bag like like hikers use. I bought mine at the yeah. the uh, mega store. I think I paid twelve dollars for it. I just chose one that the bottom because they're round. They're, they're made, built like a cylinder. The bottom was an appropriate size for my horse's hoof. Way less money than spending fifty or sixty or seventy five dollars on a fancy one that's made specifically for horses. It's the same thing, and they have a little body to them. So when you put them on, they stand up by themselves. You don't have to have that, 
You don't have to have suspenders on them. So I always have a dry bag. Um, I always keep around my kit uh, horseshoe pads, the ones that your farrier puts underneath of the horseshoe. And I always keep a few of those around because you can cut them to size and put that underneath the wrappings when you have to wrap a horse's foot to give him a little extra protection. Especially if you have one who's super sore in the sole. He's got an abscess. He's sore. He got nailed. Something like that. Gives him a little extra protection and they appreciate it. Uh, you can never have too many towels in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Of every oh, type. Yeah. You have to have big towels, little towels. Yep. Uh, really super absorbent towels. Towels that are fluffy. Towels that you can chop apart. And last mm-hmm, but not mm-hmm. least, I always keep several unopened bottles of water, not necessarily hmm. fancy sterilized water or anything else, just unopened bottles and table salt so that I can make my own saline wash whenever I need it without having to spend oh. $7 on one that's going to probably go out of date. Because you just make it right when you need it. You, if you have the small single serving water bottles, like they come in about 20 ounces, you put the appropriate amount of so- table salt in there, which is the amount is available. Just go Google it. and if you poke a hole in the bottle, because those single serving size bottles that you buy at the mega store are so thin, you can just poke a hole in it with a point of a pen or a knife or a point, pair of scissors. You can literally squirt it out the bottle. Oh, wow. I've done this. So you take the lid off the bottle, put the salt in, close the lid, give it a shake so it dissolves. Um, along the bottom edge, poke a little hole and squeeze and ta-da, wound wash. Wow. wow. Ta-da! <laughs> I feel like you need I feel like you you need your own show with just this stuff. <laughs> yes. Seriously. I mean, I'm like, I don't know, Tigger, you want some gauze? Let's get some gauze. I wasn't thinking about like cutting off a sleeve of anything. I mean, that was amazing. <laughs> but I, I would like to take credit for the wound wash idea, but I picked that up somewhere on somebody's blog post a long time ago and went, <gasps> What a brilliant idea. It was it was a hiker's website. Uh, what a brilliant huh. idea. Yeah. Hikers have all kinds of okay. great ideas. Yeah. Cool. So if you have great ideas for the pet's medicine cabinet, regardless of what kind of pet it is, chicken, goat, horse, llama, go on over to Facebook mm-hmm. and type in Health of Critters Radio and tell us what it is. Maybe maybe we'll have you on Horse Tip Daily and you can tell the whole universe about it. Ha-ha! <laughs> There you go. (laughs) Thanks for listening, everyone. And thanks to our sponsor, Biostar US. You can find them online at biostarus.com. Get the Horse Radio Network phone app on iOS or Android by searching for Horse Radio Network in the App Store. It's free and easy to use. For details about today's show, go to healthycrittersradio.com, where you can find links, photos, and more information about our guests. As always, we love your feedback. Please follow us on Facebook under Healthy Critters Radio. Be sure to visit all the great shows on Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. 